0: Romans has been called the greatest book in the Bible. It's been said that if Romans is a wedding ring, then, or if the Bible is a wedding ring, then Romans is that center diamond, that central diamond, stone. That Romans 8 then is the part of the diamond, the facet of the diamond that gleams the most. That it's, set apart. Why? Because Romans 8 verse by verse, section by section, takes us to the heights of all of the benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. Scripture repeatedly, listen, teaches that there's only two ways to live your life. There's always two ways in Scripture. Scripture. There's the way of evil, there's the way of good, there's the way of the fool, the way of the wise, there's the way of following your own will, your own plan for your life, and following God's plan for your life. There's the way of light, there's the way of darkness, there's the way of standing on the ground of holiness and standing on the ground of secrecy and in the shadows. You can Believe that you're saved because of your good works, because you're a decent person, because you're not as bad as the next guy, and you're certainly not as bad as some of the most evil people in history. So you can stand on your own works for your salvation, or you can stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's always two ways, and the Apostle Paul follows this pattern in Romans 8 this pattern in scripture of there always being two clear cut ways two different ways of living two different principles that you that i live under day by day week by week even minute by minute we are always faced with these two ways christians are non-christians are look at romans 8:2 for the law of the spirit of life That's the first way, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's the second way. There's two ways we can live there's the law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. The way that Paul uses the word law here is not in the legal sense, it's not as in God's law, it's more like a principle. So the principle of the spirit of life is one principle we can live under. The principle of sin and death. So it's a system, it's a principle of living. Two ways to live. These two principles are at work constantly in your life and in my life. Constantly, even right now, those principles are at work. Will you focus on the Word of God for the next few minutes, or will your mind wander? The principles at work in me, will I follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit no matter where that leads, or will I follow my notes and my own plans? There's always these two principles at work. First, the principle of sin and death. Those who are far from God, those who have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's some of you. Your lives are under the principle of sin and death. That means living for yourself. That means self first, living by your own moral code, rejecting Jesus. A non-Christian lives by the principle of sin and death, but listen, A Christian also lives by the principle of sin and death or is tempted to daily. A Christian is tempted daily to live under the principle of sin and death, which is anything but living under the principle of nothing but Jesus. Anything that takes the place of Jesus is sin and death. It leads to death. You may be thinking, wait a minute, I thought I was a Christian. Um, I'm a new creation. We are, but I know this comes as a surprise to all of us. We're still sinners. And I know that surprises us to hear that. But we are. Our struggle against sin is different than when we came before we, were, we came to Jesus, when we were far from God. In some ways, our struggle, though, is more significant when we're a Christian. When you are far from God and non-Christian, your heart is in one direction. It's in your own direction. Anything goes as long as you're kind of a decent person. When you're a Christian, there's a warring that goes on inside of you between these two principles. You know, this constant struggle, this contradiction that we saw in Romans 7 where Paul said, The good I want to do, I don't do. When I want to do good, evil is right there beside me. This contradiction of the Christian life. It's what allowed Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, wrote most of the New Testament to say at the end of his life, I am the worst sinner that I know. At the end of his life, Paul says that. He called himself the chief of sinners. John Piper, who's one of the great pastors, theologians of our day, he was asked by someone, are there any times or any circumstances that make you doubt the existence of God? Any time where you just doubt if it's all true? And his answer was not based on science, it wasn't based on evolution or based on the problem of evil he said something very profound. He said the only time he's ever doubted the existence of God or the time that he's doubted the existence of God the most is when he considers the pace of his own sanctification. Sanctification is growing in grace, becoming more and more like Jesus every day, killing sin. And Piper's saying that the thing that frustrates him the most, the thing that makes him even doubt God the most is the slow pace of his holiness. It's incredible, an incredible statement. He's echoing what Paul said in Romans 7, saying, I want to do good, but I don't always do good. Why? And how could I sin against that Jesus that we just sang about? John Stott, another great theologian who died in the past few years, he said, One of the greatest disappointments of his life was that as a 90-year-old man, he still struggled with the same sins that he struggled against when he was 19 years old. I love that honesty because it is a struggle. Paul says, I do the very things that I hate. The very things I know are wrong. The things I know I shouldn't do. The very things I know will bring pain to others. Will bring pain to myself. Mostly the things that will dishonor God. I still do those things. The struggle of a Christian is different. And we'll see that in a moment. But it's still there. The principle of sin And death. We sang earlier, waiting for change to come. Love that line. Waiting for change to come, but knowing the battle is won. So the victory has been secured by Jesus. He won when he died on the cross, but we still have these mop up battles, remnants of our sin to fight off. Let's drill down into exactly what this principle of sin and death is. The principle of sin and death is the natural inclination that we don't need to be taught to do wrong. So a baby that's born doesn't make life easy on their parents. They come out crying, they come out sinning eventually comes by us naturally. Paul calls it living by the flesh. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, Paul says that when we live by the Spirit or by the principle of sin and death, that's when we are living according to what he calls the flesh. Now, we don't use that word very often, flesh. It's a very difficult word to translate into English. The word is sarks, and it literally means flesh. It's one of the, the better translations. It's flesh. Some of you might have in your translations um, a sinful nature or indwelling sin or whatever. Paul uses this term a lot, and it's not a term we use very often. Flesh here, though, it doesn't mean skin. It doesn't mean our bodies. It means the natural man. It's the best way to understand it. It means what we are naturally inclined to do. It means the part of us that still sins, the part of us that's still tempted to sin, The part of us that is drawn to sin, the flesh. This past week, our staff was invited to a member's home uh, for an authentic Italian dinner. And it was just amazing. It was such a great night of joy. And they brought out to us, I think it was like seven or eight courses of Italian food, authentic Italian food. And so, you know, there was... Eggplant and shrimp and salad and everything just tasted amazing. I think there was one course that was fruit and cheese towards the end, and that was incredible. And Then we had dessert, and, you know, when I got home, I said, just for fun, I want to hop on the scale, (laughs) and I want to see if I gained any weight, just for fun. I gained three pounds in just that night. So the next morning I got up still full and I decided, you know what, today I am not going to eat at all because I want to get back on track for my New Year's resolution, etc. So I woke up, I was still full. And I skipped breakfast, of course, because that's what you do when you know you're trying to be good during the day. That really healthy thing that we all do, skipping breakfast. And then I went about my day. I had some meetings in the morning. I was driving around. I was coming back to the church. It was 12 o'clock. I thought I'm just going to skip lunch. 12.30, 1 o'clock. And by 1.30, I'm still, you know, I'm driving back here to church. And I think to myself, I can justify stopping at Popeyes, and if I just get a two-piece spicy chicken with gravy and mashed potatoes and, you know, definitely with a Diet Coke, that is pretty healthy. I mean, chicken is healthy, right? And I won't get a four-piece, I'll just get a two-piece. And so I got to the drive-through, and even when I went through the drive-through, you get a biscuit and I asked the person there, the woman there for butter for the biscuit and she kind of like made fun of me. She looked back at me and she said, you need butter? I'm like, yeah, I need butter. Give me two packets, you know. <laughs> and I'm naturally predisposed, naturally inclined, naturally drawn to Popeyes. The day I had made a commitment not to do it. You know, I mean, we think that we can change the world and we can't even change ourselves. We start with New Year's resolutions. I mean, how many talk about losing weight? And we can't even do that. We can't even stay on a diet. Some people who have had major heart surgery studies show that even after that major heart surgery, they still don't eat right, even though their, their life is basically and is going to be dictated by their diet in some ways. That natural inclination. It's a funny example, but we're naturally inclined towards things that are bad for us. So the way this word sarks, it's a very important word to understand, or flesh, is used to describe that part of us that's naturally drawn to sin, pulled away from God. The part of us that's bent in on ourselves, the part of us that's selfish in marriage, The part of us that's irritable. The part of us that doesn't pay attention to the children. The part of us that has not yet been given over to God. When God's looking at us, when he cracks us open, hopefully on Sundays when we look at the law of God, before we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, he cracks us open and says, what about that? What about that sin? What about that sin? Don't worry about the people out there. What about You And your heart, what about me? So back to verse 2, the law or the principle of sin and death is living according to the flesh. Living according to what we are naturally drawn to. What does that look like? It looks like death. Verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Look at that phrase, set their minds. Setting your mind on things of the flesh. You know, last week Tyler referred to it, but I used the illustration of football and how energized. We get over that. And some of you may have misunderstood me. I am a big Eagles fan. I'm a big football fan. I'm a big sports fan. But I think it's a fair statement to say that if the men of our country, the men and women of our country, the human beings of our country, had as much excitement and energy and passion for Jesus as we do for football, Watch out. What other statement could you make if we had as much passion for this for football or for Jesus as we have for football, we would experience revival? You can't say that about a politician. If every single person who is passionate about football were passionate about this one politician, oh man, just imagine how life would be. It would be horrible. I don't care which side you're on. But If you have that passion for Jesus, setting our minds, that's what he says, on Christ. If you're living according to your natural desires. Now, why do I use the illustration of football? Because, you know, I believe that setting our minds on the things of the flesh basically equals distractions from God. Distractions from nothing but Jesus. Distractions from living according to the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in a minute. You know, last night when we were watching the Eagles game, we were fixated on that screen towards the end. On the edge of our seats, just waiting to see what would happen. Would they disappoint us again? You know? We are fixated on it. I mean, the men of this country just, you know, partying it, tailgating, singing at the top of their lungs. Come to church and say, oh, I can't sing. I don't, I don't know the songs or whatever. Or that's just not who I am. It's who you are at the football game. I mean, that is a fair comparison. It is. It's convicting to me. It's fair. Nothing wrong with being passionate about football. But what about your mind, setting your mind on Christ? You know, I remember, I'm just going to keep driving this point home. Hopefully I'm not belaboring it. But I remember back in, I think it was 2008, the Philadelphia Phillies were in the World Series. And in the last game, I think it was the sixth game, they ran into a rain delay for the first part of the game. So they played the first part of the game. I think it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. And the Phillies were winning. And so it was at in Philadelphia, and the stadium was filled. And so they had to delay the game until the next night. Now, you would think the next night that half the stadium would be filled because of all of the things that everybody has to do that next night all the plans they had made for that next night. There was not one empty seat in the house. I want you to imagine that we have a prayer service on a Tuesday night, and it just becomes late, and you gotta get the kids home, and we say, you know what, the Spirit's really moving. We're gonna come back tomorrow night. I mean, what would happen? I mean, it would be me included. We would be having all kinds of excuses. What are you setting your mind on? Enough said. Our minds are distracted away from Jesus. That's what Paul says. If you're living according to the principle of sin and death, your mind is fixated on those things. What is your mind fixated on? Even right now, what's your mind fixated on? What are you filling your mind with? These are good things. Many times that we make ultimate things, our minds can be fixed, fixed on our children, on a relationship, on our job, on finances, maybe even on ministry, all good things. But if those things are replacing Jesus, they've become ultimate things that are idols. Paul says in verse 6, when we choose to set our mind on the flesh, that brings death. And all of us will eventually die because of sin, but we all die little deaths all day long, don't we? When we fixate our mind on the flesh, when we're living by the principle of sin and death, when we're choosing the things of the world, when we're choosing ourselves in relationships, when we are a narcissist or whatever it may be, we die little deaths. Relationships die because of that. Friendships die. Something inside of us dies. We bring death to our testimony. We bring death to our intimacy with God and with others. Look at verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we're still talking about the principle of sin and death. The one way that we can live. In verse 7, Paul says that when we're fixated on the flesh, when our minds are on the flesh, it isn't a small matter. It isn't a minor offense. We're actually hostile, uses that word, hostile to God. We're treating God as an enemy. And then Paul says, when we're living by the principle of sin and death through the flesh, not only do we not submit to God's law, Notice what it says. It says, we cannot submit to God's law. You can't have it both ways. If you're living in the flesh, it can't be that a little part of that belongs to God. It's all or nothing. Always in the scriptures. It's always all or nothing. Either your thoughts are totally pure or they're impure. All or nothing. There's no gray area So that's the first principle, the principle of sin and death. The second principle is the principle of the spirit of life. The principle of the spirit of life, back to verse 2. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ. What is the law of the spirit of life? The law of the spirit of life is that new spiritual heart, that new persona that we are given when we come to Jesus Christ. It's a new orientation, it's a new spiritual heart, it's a new core, it's a new spiritual core. Look at verse 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. I love this theme of salvation, that we were dead in our sins. We weren't struggling for breath. We didn't need some sort of pill. We weren't on a hospital bed in need of medicine. We were on the cold slab of the morgue in need of resurrection. That's our condition. I've told you this before. We weren't struggling. We weren't drowning in the water. We were dead on the bottom of the ocean floor spiritually before Christ saved us totally unable to make ourselves alive. Only Jesus could do that. Paul says, this is when we who were dead were made alive. I love that. I love that illustration of being dead in our sins and being made alive. He picks up on this in Colossians two thirteen through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, God made alive with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing Over them in Him. I love how Paul says that He made a public spectacle of them in other translations. The law of the Spirit of life is a life governed by this Holy Spirit of Christ. It's a heart that is fixated on Jesus, not just today, not just while we're singing, but all through the week. We can live according to the principle of sin and death or according to the principle of the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen carefully. Paul is saying... This is incredible. That the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that Holy Spirit is available to us. He says that same Holy Spirit, that same power. So play that out a little bit. Jesus is whipped. He's beaten. He's spat upon. He carries a cross that he created. He created that tree that made that cross. He carries that cross. He's nailed through his arms and through his legs to that cross. He is speared in his side. Usually, they would just throw out the bodies of those crucified, because they were so disfigured. He's put into the grave, and that Holy Spirit of Christ comes rushing in, and the grave could not hold him. And he is resurrected from the dead. Paul says, that is the same Holy Spirit that's available to us, that's available to you when you're tempted. That's available to me when it comes to parenting and when it comes to my marriage and when it comes to leadership. It's available to you in your secret thought life. It's available to you in the words that you choose to say, in the things that you choose to write, in the things that you set your mind on. That Holy Spirit, we've lost sight of that. That same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead... There is no addiction that we have that the power of the Holy Spirit can't defeat. That same Holy Spirit is available to us. Two ways of living. We are constantly, constantly, check your life this week, faced with two ways, two draws. The principle of sin and death and the principle of the spirit of life. Both are at work. Think of it this way when you board an airplane and you're sitting in your seat on the tarmac waiting to take off, there's a principle at work. The principle or the law of gravity is at work at that point. You're not going to fly by yourself, you're going to stay in that seat on the ground, and that plane is going to stay on the ground. Because of what? Because of the principle or because the law of gravity. Now when that plane takes off and those engines start to roar, another law, another principle is at work. The principle of motion, the principle of inertia. And that principle of inertia, that principle of motion that overwhelms the principle of gravity. The principle of gravity is still there, but it's really no match for that airplane. I mean, it almost seems easy when they take off, doesn't it? It's just incredible. And it's the same way in our daily lives. It's the same way. You have this principle of motion, that the spirit of life, this overwhelming spirit, Holy Spirit inside of us, able to defeat any sin at any time. And able to do incredible things in love to our neighbors. And then you have this weakened principle of sin and death that's been defeated by Jesus on the cross. It is dead. It is disgusting. It's the old man. And that principle is still at work, but it's no match for the principle of the spirit of life. It's no match infinitely more powerful that's what Paul is saying the principle of sin and death is present with us he says that in Romans 7 that we're all sinners that we don't do the good that we want to do at all times that we've all made mistakes that we can't undo there's things that we've all done that we can never take back you can never take it back evil is sitting right there even right now beside you and beside me Even when we do good, many times our motives aren't pure. Even when we don't say words, when we restrain ourselves, we thought those words. We still thought those things. And before God, like we said last week, all of our thoughts are words. So that principle of sin and death is present. But that principle of the Holy Spirit is infinitely more powerful. That is how Our struggle against the flesh as a Christian is different from when we are far from God and not a Christian. A Christian has that second principle, the principle of the Holy Spirit of life. Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, listen, these might be the most important words you hear all week, if in fact the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Does the Holy Spirit even dwell in you? I love that title, Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of Christ. There are two persons in the Trinity But in some way, that Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. It's more of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is. When Jesus said, I will send you a comforter, he's sending more of himself in ways we can't understand. I don't care if you've been a Christian all your life or you just became a Christian. We forget Jesus daily. It becomes a religion or it becomes rules or it goes back to self-help. I see it in counseling all the time. And I'm talking about people who have been Christians for a long time. Sitting in front of me, sitting in front of us. Marriage problems, addictions, whatever it is. And it turns into self-help. Do this, do this, do that. It's very tempting for a counselor. And what I do is I try to bring the sermons to bear. I try to bring nothing but Jesus into the counseling room. And it's amazing to see people's eyes glaze over when I say your power The energy that you're going to need, the principle that you need is nothing but Jesus in your marriage. That's what you need. I really believe this stuff. And you can see their eyes glaze over. Sometimes they'll just kind of laugh like, okay, whatever. I mean, we all do it. Do we truly believe this stuff? And then people wonder why they don't change. Why is nothing changing? Why isn't this self-help working? end up in the same place because your view of Jesus, my view of Jesus, isn't nearly big enough. My view of what the Holy Spirit of Christ can do in me isn't nearly beautiful enough, big enough. We play at it. We believe it. But practicing nothing but Jesus in our marriages, parenting, thought lives, decisions we make, worries, anxieties, people pleasing, that narrow path that Jesus talks about, living according to the spirit of life, different story. Listen, the transformation that you want in your life, that you want in your children's lives, that I want in my life, will never be bigger, will never outrun, will never be more beautiful than your image of God in Christ Jesus. Say it again. Your transformation, your change, your improvement, your sanctification, whatever you want to call it, your New Year's resolutions, hell, whatever you want to do, the person that you want to be will never outrun or be more beautiful than your picture of Jesus. When your picture of God in Jesus is this vague God, is this God who hates the people you hate and agrees with every political position that you have, this God that is more vindictive than loving. If that's your God, you need to become an atheist to that God and start over. If that's your God, your life will be ugly. That's why we see so much ugliness from Christians on social media and things like that. When somebody comes to me and and asks me about the Christian faith, and they say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that. I say, why? Why not? It's amazing. It's incredible. And then they'll tell me about what they think the Christian faith is, and it's based on what people are doing out there and Christians are doing out there, what this guy's saying. And I'm like, I don't believe that either, you know? Let me tell you about Jesus, though. The principle of the spirit of life is what brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All of those grow together. There's not one without the other. They grow in us because of the spirit of life. How do we get this Holy Spirit, this power. I mean, it sounds so good. A few weeks ago, a friend uh, invited us to go to the Army-Navy football game. It's like one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And it was snowing all day. And uh, it was, uh, you know, tickets that were given to us. Melanie and I went. And we had no idea what was in store for us. This was a free gift given that would include so much more than we could ever imagine. It was snowing. We drove to Philadelphia. The traffic around the stadium was horrible. Security was everywhere. It was a mess. And yet we drove into the parking lot and we ended up driving all the way towards the building Closest we could get into a VIP parking spot right next to the stadium. We got out of the car, we walked a few paces, and we're inside. But this wasn't where the general public enters, it was a spot where you enter where it's like a five star hotel. This is an incredible environment. We go inside, and we're in the link. Go to our seats, or I should say, we go to our room. We went to our room. We were in a box, a heated box, Bank of America's box. And this free gift kept getting better and better and better. It wasn't a box on the 10 yard line. Or the 20 or 30, it was right on the 50-yard line. It was like the 50-yard line came through our box. And we got there early enough. Our friend was in the army, and so he was so excited, he was just as giddy as us to take us there and to, for he himself to be there. And we saw the parade where, you know, they came out, army first, then Navy. They marched onto the field and stood there at attention in the snow for all this time. We were right near the the cadets, that section. They stood the entire game in the snow. The game was a classic, one of the greatest Army-Navy games ever. The room next to us, we were told at least, was empty because it was reserved, apparently, for the highest-ranking government official, who was the Secretary of State. One of the guys who came in and visited with us was the guy who invented the hovering camera that goes across the top of the field It just kind of is there and suspended in thin air. A room host doesn't take our order for food. The food is already out. This big buffet is before us. It kept getting better and better And better. One of the other guys who was with us commented that the others in the box looked like money. And he said, We really don't fit here, do we? (laughs) It was as if we didn't belong. But here's the thing we did belong. Why? Because we had been given a free undeserved, unearned ticket to this box that neither of us could ever afford in our wildest dreams or imagination. And the gift just kept giving more and more and more. I didn't have to try hard to get the ticket. It was given to me. And I embraced the gift. Because I embraced it, I got to enjoy all of the blessings and the surprises that came with it. I didn't feel guilty about receiving it. I boldly ate from the buffet (laughs) over and over and over again. It gave the person who invited us to join him tremendous joy to give us that gift remind you of anything, evangelism, sharing your faith, sharing that joy with others, and, and seeing them come out of sin and death and into life, that is how we get the Holy Spirit of Christ. We don't earn it. Jesus dies for us. Those of us who were guilty, who stood condemned, we are found in Christ, given a free gift, Our sins nailed to the cross, our debt paid, a free gift that we can never imagine the benefits of that gift. And as we grow in Christ and as the Holy Spirit grows in us more and more, I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life, discovering more and more of the riches of Jesus, it gets better and better and better. And we are to enjoy it and to live freely in it. The only way I would ever sit in that box is if someone gave it to me. I could never even afford the meal, let alone the box seat. Some of you think because you're a good person, because you're decent, because you do good things, maybe even serve in the church, that you believe in the man upstairs. Maybe you even say you like Jesus, kind of believe in him too. If you live a good life, and if there is a heaven you believe, I'll probably be there. That would be like trying to sit in the box seat without a ticket. I would have been turned away at the parking lot and told to walk in the snow. It wouldn't happen. Or what if I enjoyed this free gift and I had a smug attitude? I deserve it. How can I serve myself more with this free gift? If I looked smugly at the people out in the snow and thought, I'm glad I'm not like them. If I believed I deserved it in some way, if I wasn't thankful for it in some way, if I didn't notice the incredible joy, if I said, you know what? I think I have a better way. Instead of this this box thing here, I think we should change the furniture around a little bit. We should change the food a little bit. Instead of just enjoying the gift and discovering more and more. I didn't earn it, it was free. That is the only way to live by the principle of the spirit of life and to stop living for yourself, stop living for myself through the principle of sin and death. I'm gonna ask the worship team to make their way forward at this time. And here is the beauty of it all. All you have to do is ask Jesus for this free gift. It's all you have to do. Don't let us, don't let Christians, we can be such knuckleheads at times. Don't let us talk you out by our lives being a Christian. Look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Look at his words in the Gospels, just his words alone. If you even take out his miracles, which we don't do, but if you did, just his words alone. I remember reading in John 5 and 6 when people were leaving Jesus, his disciples were leaving him. And then Jesus turns and looks to his disciples and he says, Are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Just read his words. No mere man says that let alone being recorded by these different men in the Gospels. Do you know Jesus? If you're a Christian, are you living out of nothing but Jesus or does that irritate you to no end? Is it just a a slogan to you, a silly tagline? Or is that your lifeline? Are you distracted by the world? I mean, obviously we all are. But are you distracted to the point where Jesus is just on Sundays, and the rest of the week it's whatever? That can be any one of us. Are you walking by the principle of sin and death or are you walking by the principle of the spirit of life?